0: Welcome welcome. You're listening to our podcast. Two massage therapists in a microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Got a real cool guest on the phone. Everyone's been on the phone. I'm, I don't know if I'm digging the phone stuff, but I miss I miss <laughs> having people sit on our couch. I miss our couch.
1: I do. I miss our couch. Actually, we made Mark, so
0: much fuss about the bloody couch, you <laughs> know. Now we don't even have it.
1: Mark went into our office today for I don't know, a couple of hours. The intent was to go in and actually get some work done Just on his own with nobody there because we're closed, obviously. And uh, he only managed to stay there for probably an hour or two before it was depressing because it's just
0: empty and lonely. And... and normally when it's empty and lonely, it's just me. I don't mind. But, you know, just the whole building being empty and lonely and the parking lot being empty and lonely. and Very empty and lonely.
1: Well, hey, everyone, it's Maybe Amanda. My soul and... is
0: getting empty and lonely. <laughs>
1: oh, don't say that.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, it's, it's a hard time.
1: I'm going to try to uh, cheer us up a little bit. So tonight is an episode so that's not about coronavirus. I can't promise that it won't get brought up because that's just the reality that we live in right now. But tonight we've got Samantha King on the phone, who is the founder of Vampire Builders, and she reached out to us. Ooh, I can't even remember now. It was at least a couple of months ago because we have a mutual acquaintance, uh, Dr. Char Ray. She was on our show before talking about. Um, the Science Behind Mindfulness. And I guess, Samantha, you had come up with an idea that you wanted to get yourself out there and appear on more podcasts. And Shar recommended that you talk to me, right?
2: Yeah, that's that's actually exactly how it, exactly how <laughs> it happened. Exactly.
0: Now you're in Looking regret. For more,
2: it, and it's so great how our networks can do that, right? You can kind of put it out there that this is what you're doing. And somebody always knows somebody. Yep, so I was true. really excited to connect with you and be able to have this chat. And I love... Kind of the format that you guys have going on And and so I'm excited to be a part of it The
0: bigger question is, are you in your PJs Right now?
2: (laughs) Yes (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah. And did I really fully get out of my PJs today? No. No I did not. Do
0: you at least have nighttime ones, like sleep PJs and then day PJs or is that not how it goes? Or are they good they good for like a thirty six hour cycle and then you gotta then you gotta strip down and, and put on some fresh ones. Why are you laughing like that?
2: I don't, yeah. I don't do thirty six hours.
0: And neither do um, I. I mean I was just saying, you know, I was just throwing it out there, just a the number. <laughs> It's right, a
2: But it's funny, it's funny, you should say that because today's pajamas were like, these will do okay. So they kind of went on in the morning, and they'll probably stay on until tomorrow morning. And then, you know, you swap them out, you put on a pair of like yoga pants or something to go with them. I think that's really like the style, the go to work style, unless I'm recording something, Um, whether it's a welcome video for a new course for us or an IGTV episode. Right now, it's like I really don't have anywhere else to be, so yeah, sweatpants and and whatever t-shirt I can find that's clean. Yeah, I right? think I
0: think last episode we we called everyone sweatpants nation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we gave a cheers to every everyone that's wearing something with an elastic waist.
1: Yep. Right, yeah. I've been mostly in yoga pants myself. Uh, today was the first
2: day Wait, are, since... Are,
0: are any of us even putting on socks anymore? Have we just given that oh, up? Oh, I don't do socks.
2: No. <laughs> Only There's if no my socks. feet are cold. If my feet are cold, I'll put them on. Otherwise, yeah, no. Well, that's fair. Our
1: condo tends to be pretty warm. So I never have the issue of cold feet. So no, I have a lot of clean socks because I haven't worn socks in weeks. And yeah. I've been pretty much going back and forth between pajamas and yoga pants. And then today I made this weird... <laughs> Your decision to shower and blow dry my hair and curl my hair and put on makeup. I have no idea why that all happened before nine o'clock this morning. I have no idea. That's the first time in weeks that I looked like a real human and I didn't have my mom bun with the scrunchie.
2: And did you look like this is the other thing, right? So when you're doing a zoom call, or you work from home, like I do, I do a lot of online work. Um, it's d- did you look did you look uh, grown up, as I like to say, from just the top up, or did you have on good pants too? Right, I
1: have on. I have on army printed yoga pants. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, as long as like my hair and makeup are done, and if I put on a nice shirt, I can record a video. 100%. Nobody knows what's going on in the bottom in the bottom half. Like that's the beauty of of working from home. And right now, with us all being in self isolation, you kind of am like, what's the point? Do
0: you ever have those moments in the morning? Well, it's not even morning anymore. It's probably about twelve thirty, one o'clock ish, and you run your tongue over your teeth, and you're like, hmm, did I do those this morning? <laughs> did I get to those words? Yeah, That's just you. <laughs> someone tell me it's I, not. Just I me. think
2: we all. I think we're all getting to that point, right? Because for me, you know, I homeschooled. I homeschooled. So before any of this started, we. I don't get up, you know, we get up, we kind of do our own thing, we get going in the morning, but we still had, like, groups to go to and activities to go to. And like, once a month, we do a field trip. So now it's kind of gotten to this point where my kids are like, I can't go outside, I can't do this, I can't do that. And They've even the homeschooled kids are losing all sense of structure. You know like, I actually
1: Yeah, I actually thought about some of my friends today that do homeschool. So I have about three uh three friends who homeschool their kids and I was thinking about them. Do today. I know them? Uh you might. Mm-hmm. They are not super close friends, but you might. Okay. Yeah. I'm just wondering. Um I was thinking about them today because I thought, I wonder if this is even more difficult for them and their children. Now, here's why I thought that. Not, I mean, obviously for the rest of us who have never homeschooled before, this is insane. Thank goodness I only have to teach like SK and preschool because I don't know what I would do if I had older children right now and I had to teach like this new wave math that makes no sense to me. Um, but My friends at homeschool, I know that they really depended on the outings. You know, they made sure they had field trips and outings and they had all these groups to go to because they're home with their kids 100% of the time. So I started to think, like, is it harder for them right now? Like, are they losing their mind because now they have nowhere to go and they're just all stuck together? I don't know.
0: Maybe all of the homeschool kids should all get together on Zoom and have like an afternoon. We're usually the homeschool kids party. (laughs) (laughs)
2: it's really interesting because it it is getting to that point because for us you know at first we were like oh well we're home all the time but now we're starting to slowly see the the effects of it and and it's like well that was our only sense of structure and it's not like we're like oh we're you know this is time for family and it's time for whatever because that's always like that's not the relief, it's not like a sense of relief or like, Hey, this is great. We're allowed, to, we're getting more time to focus on family because we always are together. Right. Right. So it's, it's a very, it is interesting. And I think it is getting to that point point. and with homeschooling, it looks different for everybody. So there are some, commu- there are some people who are part of a community. They have play dates at each other's houses all the time. Um, and then there are other people who, you know, have more of, we see you at the groups and then we kind of do our own thing, which is, our family, um, simply because I have two children who are on the spectrum, so our needs are different than many, um, and also because I'm working as well. Right. So, so my schedule looks different. I think
1: we should probably go back and introduce you, because we just jumped into talking about you know being at home and staying Sorry, in our pajamas all day. I got excited
0: to talk to yeah. somebody.
1: <laughs> Mark got <laughs> excited that there was another adult around other than me. Oh, I get it. So let's actually back it up. Samantha, can for our listeners, can you introduce yourself? Um, who you are? what you do, how long you've been doing it, and just, you know, a little bit of background on you.
2: Yeah, no, as you said, I'm the founder of Vampire Builders. We're an online training center for women in business, uh, really working with Canadian women and creating uh, a training center for them, but also by them. So what's really unique about our uh, business is that not only do we have our own signature courses, but we have what's called a course makers program where I am a former teacher, teaching these women how to put courses together and share their expertise and generate revenue from their expertise. And we even host it for them on our training center. That's an option for them because it's really important for me to to let women know that, you know, especially our community, that just because I may be the founder of Vampire Builders doesn't mean that I know everything in the room. And I think this is important for society as a whole is that we all bring different pieces to the table and and really empowering each other to to share those those expertise and those things that you learn and we're really a hub for personal and professional development so sometimes you know we have course makers who put something together for their personal um like for their business itself and for their professional expertise and then they might even have a course on like something like knitting because you know they get asked about it a lot so it's a really interesting It's a really interesting way to empower women, but of course I'm more than just, you know, what I do professionally. Um, Vampire Builders has been around for about four or five years now. I homeschool, you know, I have, I'm, I'm married. Um, and I'm, and I'm me, right? Like I love, I'm a geek about TV. Um, I'm the person people come to to ask, like, hey, like, what's a good show? Because I've watched literally almost everything. We're in a golden age of television right now.
1: Okay, so we need to know what a good show is because we have been home now for what feels like 7,051 days and I'm running out of TV options once the kids go to bed. So we'll have to chat later about what's good to watch. Yeah,
2: we'll get to that because, yeah, I have definitely uh, recommendations and I'm usually binging like three or four shows at a time. Um, yeah, so I, I, I do a lot of things, but I I was always that person. So it was really funny because when I left high school, so like my uh, degree is actually in classical studies. So at one time I was studying ancient Greece and ancient Rome and learning a dead language. I was learning Latin. Like I was paying to go to university to learn this because nobody had really ever said to me, like, what do you want to do?
1: Did you know what you wanted to do when you chose oh, to do no. classical studies and learn Latin?
2: Nope. I was like, well, if I have to study for four years, I might as well study something I'm interested in. So this is what I'm going to study. Like it was not, there was no thought behind it. And even as I was going through it, you're still not thinking about it. You know what I mean? We're not having these conversations with our young kids to say, like, okay, well, what are you doing?
1: I feel the exact opposite. Actually, I felt like all my parents ever did was breathe down my neck of what are you going to do with this. So, I my background, um, my degree is in kinesiology, and at uh-huh. the time that I chose kinesiology, it was for the exact reason you just mentioned. I wasn't really hundred percent sure what I wanted to do with my life, but I was like, uh-huh. what interests me? The only thing that interested me at the time was, okay, let me learn about the human body. Let me learn about movement. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. I enjoy athletics. Like this this makes sense to me. But I felt like all I got was my parents saying, What are you gonna do with that? What does that mean? What is a degree in kinesiology? Where does this take you? And I was like, I don't know. I just I like it.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think too it's interesting because I had I came from a different background. Like really my childhood was was different than most. And you know, you you go through different phases but that was never one of them for me it was more about getting through the day than it was figuring out how to do the next piece of my life and it didn't stop at classical studies like then I went into teachers college because somebody said hey you'd be good at that and then I was in uh selling textbooks to schools uh sales and marketing, then I was in um then I taught for a bit, then I was in uh financial services in the back end doing customer service management and marketing. Like it, it wasn't until I had my second kid that I was like, Okay, what are you gonna do with all this? Like so, you got all this experience. It's time to stop jumping around. What are you gonna do? What
1: do you mean when you say your childhood was was not like everybody else's, which is not typical. What, what wasn't typical about it?
2: Well, I lived in a house where it wasn't the happiest of childhoods and it was more about surviving and getting through the day than it was about, you know, long term plans. Got it. So, and so that's what I mean by different than most. I mean, there are people who will identify with my story, but I firmly believe that all of our stories are different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you you get through it the way you get through it. But nobody ever talked, not only was I kind of just trying to get through the day, but also nobody ever had that conversation with me, like where you said your parents were like, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do? Nobody asked me that question. And it's funny because normally... People who go into history degrees, they basically go back for more school and they That's either become educators uh, themselves or like museums or all of those things. But the other piece that I feel was missing in my undergrad was that nobody was telling me to make connections, right? Like intern get some real world experience, figure out. And I think that, again, that may just be my experience. But I feel like had I done that, I might have had a better idea of what I was going to do with that degree. And it might have helped me streamline what I was going to do. But I mean, I feel like I've taken all of that expertise, and it now goes into the business that I'm in. And this is obviously where I was meant to be because here I
1: am. Where did you get your undergrad degree? I went to York. Oh, you and Mark both went to York. He did his undergrad in kinesiology there. And mm -hmm. I I did my undergrad at uh, the University of Western Ontario in London. And... Mm -hmm. um, what you were just saying is exactly what I've said on so many other episodes, that I didn't I didn't feel like anyone really helped me get direction when I was doing my undergrad. I chose kinesiology because mm-hmm. it was the only thing I was interested in, and my parents mm-hmm. were forcing me to go to university. There was no option. It was university or nothing. So yeah. I had to go. I chose kin – But once I got there, I didn't feel like there was a lot of direction from, you know, from the program, from any counselors there, from anywhere. Like, I just, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. Whereas Uh Mark's experience at York was totally different. He had such an awesome kin program.
0: But no one gave it to me. Like, I went and looked for it. So that was my question. Uh Were these things not available to you? Or did you not even, did you not seek them out? Like, there's a big difference.
2: So. I, and I think I think that 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 is a big difference because I didn't even know to seek them out. So did I seek right. them out? No, because it never even occurred to me to do it. York is a big commuter school. I was working full time, like you're coming in and out of it. But I I absolutely agree agree with you, Mark, that you get what you put into it. Yeah. And so even if it's, somebody had just in, inclining said like, Hey, what do you think about this? Or, um, you know, have you ever considered that? Or what are you doing with it? It's just, nobody did that. And maybe there was a piece to my program that I was missing. I that like there was a disconnect there. Maybe there was some kind of unspoken thing that I just didn't pick up on because I had so many other things going on. Like York is known for its kinesiology. I took a philosophy of law class in my first year and we were in one of these big lecture halls. And I remember like waiting for the kin kinesiology kids to come out. And there were like a thousand of them. I wonder (laughs) if you guys
1: overlapped. When did you go to York? I don't want to date you guys, but. Two
2: thousand. I was there. I think I started in two thousand and three. So I was there. For oh, like 2003. you were gone. I Mark. was like four years <laughs> gone by then. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. You were gone so by
1: then. Sorry. So, I'm sorry. Appreciate everyone. It. Everyone who listens to us regularly knows that you're an old man. It's fine. Totally fine.
0: Why don't the <laughs> Grays fall out
1: though. I don't know. So black ones they fall out. Let's let's talk about this actually for a quick second. No, we have to. Do you have any gray hairs? Oh yeah.
2: So and since I had kids so my hair has actually never been dyed. Oh. Like my hair is like virgin hair um, just was never like, I'm not somebody who's like, I'm going to put like, if I had to curl my hair, like, I don't even know how to do that. And my hair is so straight, like, I don't even have to brush it. So it's never something I really did. But since I had kids, yeah, and I have a lot of hair. But since I had kids, oh, yeah, if I put my hair in a ponytail, I'm like, Oh, look at that gray. And I feel like every time I have a kid, more gray comes.
1: We were talking about this today. Since being at home all the time, both of us were noticing like, I mean, I feel like I'm I'm vacuuming and sweeping the floor all the time. I mean, naturally, people's hair falls out, and so Mark Uh made a joke to me, and he's like, "But my grays never fall out. Like his black hair will fall out, and the gray hair never falls out." I'm like, "Yeah, why is that? Why does the gray hold on for dear life?"
2: Right? Because you're like, it's gray, isn't it? Like, isn't it more dying along the lines of dying? Yeah, shouldn't it be brittle
1: and get out of there anyway? Sorry, so off track. I
2: get seasonal (laughs) coats with my hair, so like I'm a to get my spring coat which means my hair will start to fall out a little bit more like it's really yeah my hair's interesting <laughs> oh boy
1: all right so I want to make sure that we're following this so you went to university you weren't really sure mm-hmm. what you wanted to do with your life you did classical studies you learned Latin and then you did multiple careers at what point or did you always know or or when did you discover that you didn't want to work for somebody and you wanted to own your own business?
2: So I think it was always something that was there that, cause I was never, like, I was never happy at any of the jobs I was at, which is why I kind of not happy. Like I enjoyed my workplace. I enjoyed, I had, I had good bosses. I had people who treated me well, but it just was never, I was never happy with what I was doing in the sense that I felt like this is what I'm meant to be doing. So it wasn't, but it wasn't until I had my son and uh, I had postpartum anxiety with my daughter, which is why I actually had to stop teaching Um, because the anxiety was so bad going into the classroom. Um, But it was really interesting with my son because it was anxiety. It was depression. It was worse. It was almost like tenfold worse. And it got to the point where you know, you, you're you sitting there and like, I'm terrified that my kids are going to want something from me while my husband's trying to go to the bathroom. I was the one with the hand, you know, the mean that you see with the hands under the door as well, the kids hand under the door while you're in the bathroom. Yep. I was the one like waiting outside the door. Right. So for him to go to the bathroom and it, it really got dark and it came to a point where I had to really say like, okay, well, what, what changes can I make to make this better? right? And if I'm really going to be, if this is going to be time away for my kids, and I'm really going to be doing something, because for me, work has always made me a better person. Working has always made me a better mother. Um, and it's made me more, it's kept me sane, right, the routine of it all. So if I'm going to be, you know, pouring my heart and soul into this, into this time, I need to be doing something that really excites me. And it gets me jazzed about living life. Because at that point, I wasn't jazzed about living life. This is
1: a really interesting mentality that you have. Um, I'm listening to you and I understand it completely. I had pretty bad postpartum anxiety after both kids. The first one I didn't even really recognize because maybe it wasn't so... Uh-huh. It, I, it was never diagnosed, but it was uh-huh. wasn't until I had my second daughter that I realized like, oh, this is what this was. And my anxiety with the second one was pretty aggressive and it was just... Yeah, I mean I I didn't deal with a lot of depression, just more the anxiety. Um and my uh-huh. anxiety presented itself in just becoming overwhelmed over nothing and uh-huh. random outbursts of anger. Like just it was uh-huh. I I didn't I don't even know who I was at that point. But uh-huh. it's an interesting mentality that your thought process was okay, so if I'm going to go to work, which I know makes me a better person, What can I do that makes me happy? Okay, so somebody with anxiety, you're deciding, let me take on more responsibility, more risk, (laughs) and make myself more vulnerable and put myself out there and start my own business. It just seems so counterintuitive for somebody with anxiety where you would think that person would be like, let me just go do a job and be able to come home and deal with all this stuff at home. But your thought process was, let me keep my brain busy doing something I really want Uh to do to maybe make me happier and get rid of like what you just said made so much sense but i feel like it would have been so counterintuitive for so many
0: people. So was that a hard thing to do? Like did you have to sit down with yourself and and kind of give yourself the talk to get you to do this or was this like a fast decision to make?
2: I'm i'm a very gut-driven person, but because of what i went through with my daughter, so i didn't even know it was happening until she was about a year old and the only reason i really realized something was wrong was because i couldn't go to work. I couldn't, I was supply teaching at the time. That's the nature. That was the nature of getting, you basically could supply teach for years before getting a contract. And so I actually in that situation um, with my daughter, the first time around, I did say, I'm going to go get a job where I'm going into the same place all the time. So I actually had gone that route the first time and went, here I am because life is cyclical. And we don't realize these cycles, right, that we go through. And so there I was sitting there again going like, okay, I'm here again. And that didn't work. So where am I going now,
1: right? You had tried the, I I mean, for lack of a better term, you tried the mindless route. You tried going Uh to just do something to get Uh you out of your house, away from the kids for a little while being a productive member of society or whatever you want to call it, but uh-huh. that wasn't working for you. Being an employee wasn't working for you.
2: No. And here I was again with it, right? So I, I found myself again at a crossroads and I, and I said, like, I went that road and it didn't make me happy. So how can I do, how can I take everything that I've learned and make myself happy? Because really, I think that's what, it comes down to, and and I don't even know how it happened. Like Mark, that's a great question. Did I sit down and like have this discussion with myself? I have no idea because the reality is I don't remember a lot of that period. I don't remember a lot of what was going on for whatever reason. I remember looking down and my son is a tall kid. Both my kids were big. My daughter was over nine pounds. My son was eight, four, and he's a tall kid. I remember looking down at my you know, two month old baby who was probably the size of a six month old, and going like, "Where did my newborn go?" Right? And I feel like it just kind of came through there, and and I really don't, for whatever reason, I guess I don't spend a lot of time stopping and like journaling is not my thing, so I don't. I I know I remember markers, but I don't remember everything. When
0: did this happen? When did when did this whole "you're supposed to love your job, love your career" thing happen? Because I'm I'm thinking back to like being a kid and every friend that I had, their their fucking dads hated their jobs, right? (laughs) My dad hated his job. It was just like the thing you did to make money to to do things in your life. So has the mentality about your your work and what you do for work and making you know that places value on you or some sort of status position, is that a thing? Or is it that you are so fulfilled in other areas of your life that you don't need it out of this thing that you do for a living.
1: Or does it depend person to person because you're talking to a bunch of people from different generations. I mean, look at you, man Okay, well, let's like, just go
0: around the room. Did your dad hate his job? My, uh, my do your parents love their like, oh, this is, I was meant to do this. My
1: mom's been waiting this to retire for as long as I can remember. She like, her job. 100% has been waiting to re- She's good at her job. She doesn't love her job. She works for a good company. She she made good money. She had good benefits. Cool. Good Did your pension. dad like his job? Mm, Did he like no. his job? Okay. No, no. My father <laughs> the same way. I'm pretty sure
0: he didn't like his job. Ah, okay, does your brother like his job? Oh, my brother loves bro. his fucking job. So Does when did he? when did this whole when did this
1: <laughs> Does whole he? my brother's a chartered professional you professional know accountant and he Does loves it. He? he loves to
0: sit at a desk by himself in front of a computer and talk to nobody.
1: That's because my brother hates people.
0: Exactly. Okay, fine. So when did it happen that everyone's in tune to like this is my calling and I'm going to make this work for me in terms of my career? I'm going to forget a, forget the idea. I'm going to have a career. It's not just a job. I'm going to have a career.
1: I don't know, Samantha. Uh-huh. What do you think? Is this a new thing?
2: I think it's an interesting. Like I think, like when did it happen is is an interesting question, but also you know when is it too far, right? Like when is this idea? Because I do I remember reading these books and the before I started my own job, but I do remember reading books that was like follow your dreams if you want to travel along the road to whatever follow your dreams, and I think it was so interesting because as after I went out into entrepreneurship and you go through. You go through a bunch of realizations when you go onto your own job. But I actually read a book by um the lady who who founded Stella and Dot was it which is a direct sales company.
1: I have Stella and Dot jewelry.
2: Yeah. So Jessica Jessica Heron is her name, and she wrote a book that was Find Your Extraordinary, it was called. And it's a great book. The best thing though I loved about it was that she says in the book, she goes like the Unicorn Farm is not hiring. So <laughs> In the sense that, you know, this whole follow your dreams and like do the things that you love are great if you can generate an income from it. Like, I love watching TV. I don't know how I would like, how would I generate an income from that? If
1: you can figure that out, please tell Mark because (laughs) he will be jumping on board with you. He will leave our company altogether.
2: (laughs) Right? The whole idea of the unicorn farm isn't hiring is that you may love watching TV, but to say, like, oh, turn that into a job, turn that into a career. You know, how practical is that advice? I can think of 10 different ways, like I could write for TV, I could, you know, uh, review TV shows on blogs. And, but these are things that, you know, are very, it's like saying, well, I'm going to become an actress, right? You have, it, it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of commitment, and there's a one in a million shot in it. And I'm not saying don't do it. But I'm saying you have to come from a place that says this is going to be a long road. Here are the steps that I need to do. Here are the connections that I need to make. And I'm going to also have to do things I don't love to generate income to live to survive. Right. Because the unicorn farm isn't hiring.
1: That's a good mindset, though, for any entrepreneur, though, to keep I mean, That's not a good mindset. That's a necessary mindset. Uh If you're going to go out on your own and make a career out of something that is fulfilling to you and that you love, you have to know that you're going to do stuff that fucking sucks. You're going to have Uh to work your ass off, work hours you don't want to work. And sometimes you're going to have to put your personal life, your family, your friends, whatever on the back burner, because to get Uh shit going for yourself it's not. Uh-huh. It's you know. Everyone talks about. Uh, we've we've talked about in the episodes before as well. This work life balance, and you know, I want to work for myself and have work life balance. Well, when you work for yourself, work and life, those lines are so blurred sometimes uh-huh. that I, balance doesn't exist in the beginning for sure, if ever. Maybe eventually, but yeah. not in the beginning. And you have to be willing to, as Mark always so eloquently eat says, shit. eat shit. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Right. Because and that's the thing we we say, follow your dreams and do all these things. But we don't talk about like I just said, we don't follow your dreams. And the way it's being presented is as if the unicorn farm is hiring. It does. It's not like that. You can love stuff, but you got to eat shit. You know
0: what I kind of think of every once in a while, because being an entrepreneur is like the hottest thing. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it uh-huh. almost feels like it's trendy. It, yes. But it almost gives the message to all these young folk that you haven't made it unless you're an entrepreneur, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And this comes along because this podcast is mostly about RMTs. And we had someone on our podcast uh-huh. say basically the same thing when we were talking about being an employee or being an independent contractor. And he was pretty much saying you're groomed from when you're in school to be like, if you don't own your own clinic, you haven't made it. Uh-huh. Is that the same message we're sending to everybody? If you if you don't become an entrepreneur and you don't want to hustle and grind and you don't want to have no work-life balance, like, like, like this is how you make it, kid.
2: And, and do we send that and do we send that in careers as well because when we think about you know our parents and the fact that they hated their jobs and why weren't they kind of like do these things that you love I mean they came out of a completely different era where their parents their parents were like I don't care you just need to feed you need to eat you need to like have a roof over your head but they also came home they didn't work Sundays or if if they did like they kept you know work life like there was no boss sending you an email on your phone like you left at five o'clock that was it. There was unions, like it was a very different work life reality. And so I think that, you know, we, we come to this point where with careers, it's the same thing, right? The work life balance gets blurred. And if you're not, if you're not up till 11 o'clock at night, you know, before you go back into the office the next day for your career, does that mean you haven't made it? Or if you don't get the corner office, does that mean you haven't made it, right? What is the message that we're sending about what, Made it me.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's one thing I will say for my parents, whether or not they liked their jobs, they had a pretty sweet life. Like, I mean, they were uh-huh. both home. I think my mom was the second one to get home and she was usually home by, I would say five, five thirty every night. My dad got home earlier than that because he started earlier. We always uh-huh. ate dinner together as a family. They didn't work weekends. In the summer, we would always go camping and we'd go up north and, you know, we would enjoy our weekends uh-huh. together as a family. We had so much time with them. So yeah, there's something to be said about being an entrepreneur and going out and quote making it as you say. but. I mean, Mm -hmm. I definitely work a hell of a lot more than my parents ever did. Yes, it's on my terms because I own my own business, Mm -hmm. but it's a lot more than they ever did. And
2: there's also a difference, too, in the mentality between um, people who are employees and people who are entrepreneurs. And I think that it's really important that, you know, some people... Um, struggle to be employees. They call themselves unemployable because they know that at their core they're entrepreneurs. Mark
1: always calls himself unemployable. It's funny that you said that,
2: right? And it can be vice versa too, where I where we see people who think that you know they have to be these entrepreneurs to make it, but really they're employees. Like their mindset is because there's like I was saying, there's things that you go through when you become an entrepreneur. Like nobody, one of the things that I help people with is is really seeing the path through in their business and one of the, the the things that we always end up butting heads about is that sales piece, like getting your sa- sales foundation in place and then actually like having a sales and marketing strategy together, knowing how your business generates leads and then, you know, like going out and asking for the sale. Because people, when they go out, like they're great in their zone of excellence, but they don't, there are other areas outside of your zone of excellence that you don't think about when you're an entrepreneur, like you don't think about as being part of the entrepreneurial life and you then ha- then you you have to figure out how to get into those roles does that make sense
1: yeah that does once you decided that being an employee was not your path that you wanted to branch out on your own actually you know what i should back up did you decide you wanted to do your own thing first or was it that the career you wanted to go into didn't exist? Like, was it, it, was it that you had this idea first or you knew you wanted to be on your own first?
2: I knew it was a little bit of both. I knew I wanted to be on my own first, but what had always interested me was online entrepreneurship. So like I was always researching how to do stuff and business models online and, you know, when I wasn't binge watching television shows. And so that really didn't exist in Canada. And it still doesn't. I actually like throughout this whole pandemic, I I have many um, people who are reaching out to me for one on one sessions and even my my regular private coaching clients who are really focus- focused, hyper focused on setting up a successful online arm in their business that they can get going now that when they're able to resume in person things, um, they can still have this other piece going. And it really is something that people are like, I don't even know, like, what I would do? Like, how does that work? What, what does that mean? So even now, it's something that isn't necessarily hasn't necessarily hit Canada, which I find, Um, Happens a lot where you see things that are coming out of the UK and things that are coming out of the US, particularly. And people up here are like, I don't know what that is. That exists
1: in our industry as well. We've had quite a Mm -hmm. few business coaches on our podcast in the US, and there aren't as many business coaches for uh, manual therapists, RMTs, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just the rest of us in healthcare in Canada, it seems that majority of them mm-hmm. are in the US. Uh there might be some in Canada, but I feel like in the US they're just much more aggressive when it comes to the business side. Aggressive might be the wrong word.
0: Oh no, aggressive is the right word. Yeah,
1: they're they're pretty aggressive. <laughs> but I mean the business Sorry coaches... American folks,
0: I feel like it's this like uh hi, my name is Mark. Buy my shit. Like that, like
1: that's yeah. that's the sales pitch right? in the States, right? Yeah. Canada's a little different. Yeah, it's true.
2: And is that because their culture is based on this whole American dream thing? right and oh, so where sure. does that for sure right where does that and and we know that you know they spend money differently they have more uh disposable income because they're taxed differently like things are very different and i think that was one of the things when i i brought com out and it wasn't always that of course you go through phases where i just started out doing um just holding business owners accountable was really the thing i was doing and then um, it evolved into what it is today as I found my own groove, as I found my own, you know, uh, way of doing things and how I could really help these people. Um, but I feel like, you know, it's not in the U.S. It's a very different mindset. And I couldn't find anything like that in Canada. I couldn't find mastermind groups, which are very prevalent in the US where business owners come together and actually talk about different challenges they're having and share their own expertise to solve the problems. Um, I couldn't find a lot for, you know, training centers for women in business that were that were teaching the things that, you know, I was seeing as being a gap. Um, I couldn't find Canadian things and we do different, we do things differently, how we spend our money, how things work. It's very different up here than it is in the U.S.
0: Give me some of the differences between male business owners and female business owners.
2: It's so interesting because for me, there's, um, there's a couple of differences that I see kind of a lot of the time. When we ask how do men and women do business differently, I see it a lot in the mindset. Um, there are some things, too, in the way we in the way women sell to each other in the way they show up in their marketing and their branding. But I really think that at the core, it's that mindset piece where and you guys can tell me, tell me if I'm wrong, because I've got a man and a woman sitting here. But for me, it's that whole, you know, that imposter syndrome. Is it is do I know enough to be saying this? And maybe as I was saying, maybe it is just the the university person in me. Um, who had to like, re- spent years writing papers and researching facts. But it's almost like, I think, I feel like I think a lot more. And I I put a lot more effort into, um, and not effort in the sense of trying, but a lot more time into like, is this the right price? Is it enough? Will people think that it's too much? Um, you know, have I researched all the facts? Have I considered all the angles before I post this 30 second IGTV story, IGTV episode, or, or Instagram story where my husband is just like, this is just what I think. I've and, never really you know.
1: considered that a male female issue until you just said that right now because Mark and I, we own and operate a business together. We do everything mm-hmm. together. And you just described us like perfectly. I overthink almost everything. I I second guess everything I uh-huh. say and or do, even when we record podcasts, uh-huh. when we finish, I will turn to him and say, Oh, when I said that, did that come out wrong? Might that have sounded offensive? Did I sound uh-huh. stupid? Or like, I'll make a joke. And then I think, Oh, maybe people didn't take that as a joke. Whereas Mark uh-huh. just puts shit out. He posts stuff, you know, that resonates with him that makes sense to him. He says things unapologetically. And I'm like, how? Like, I just thought it was a personality thing. Uh-huh. I thought I was just a, you know, up uptight, overwhelmed, overthinker. I'm very
2: much <laughs> like you, you know, I'm very much like you. And I find a lot of business, uh, a lot of business women, the norm more is people like that people like us um, and having those struggles. And I think it starts with the mindset. And of course, there are obviously other differences, like I said, how they approach sales, how they do things like you will find a man, go, um, hey, I'm Mark buy my shit, like Mark said. Um, and, a, and a woman won't do that. But it's not because, it's more the mindset, right? It's that mindset piece. If I do this, how will it come across mm-hmm. rather than just saying, and, and is it, and the other thing I question is, is it a, and I said this, you know, it's, it's a self-worth thing and I charging what I'm worth. And I almost like seeking permission to say my shit is good. And I believe in my product and where my husband is very much like, I don't, I don't know, like, this is just what I do. Do you want it or not? Like, if, and they're not attached, and he's not attached to the no. Mm. I find women are very attached to the no. When if somebody's going to say no, like they're attached to that outcome.
1: Oh my God, we are hormonal and emotional, even when it comes to business. Holy shit. I never really thought about it. But yeah, I mean, I think I probably do take things more personally than he does. And we, well, yeah, 100% I do. Like I said, we put out a podcast that in the moment, I said what I felt, I said what I was thinking. And then once uh-huh. he starts editing, I'm sitting beside him going like, "Oh, does that come off bad? Oh, are people going to think this? Are they going to think I meant this?" Or uh-huh. but really, I, you know, I didn't say anything wrong or, you know, I I didn't say anything offensive really or I wouldn't have said it in the first place, but mm-hmm. it's once I've had a moment to think about it, my brain starts mm-hmm. going, How are people going to receive this? And is this what I want people to think about me? And oh man, the overthinking, it's exhausting.
2: Right. And I bet you Mark doesn't do no. any of that. None of it. It just came out. And he's like, I don't even remember what I said. It just came It's like you know it him. Came out. <laughs> right. It beca- and and it's so like cuz you're like oh, just, and and I don't think I think that it's interesting too because you know you get especially men they'll be like well why vampire builders like why is it all about women and because that's where my passion is and I believe in helping women through the same challenges I'm going through which is you know all the things we just talked about Amanda but I don't think it's a I don't want it to ever be a man versus woman thing because I don't think m- the the self the self doubt the seeking permission like that didn't come from a man in my life that the only person who can fix that is me i agree and so you can't right like it can't and i think that's kind of where the issue comes in is that you know some people may feel and again not not which sex does this or not but some people feel like well it's a man versus woman thing and for me it's not that um it, for me, it's just helping the people that I understand who understand me go through the things that I go through. And I don't ever say, you know, like Vampire Builders is is for women in business. But if if there was a private coaching client that came to me that was a guy that I jived with, then why wouldn't I help him? If he's get if he's understanding where I'm coming from and he needs help, then hey, right? I think we need to come together. We need to be able to have these conversations with each other and say, like, this is how I feel. So, when did Vampire
1: Builders actually become a business? When did you when did you start operating?
2: Um, so I went out on my own in 2016. I think Vampire Builders, like it was Vampire Builders, like my name was not attached to it anymore, it was in 2018.
1: Okay, and. I think you mentioned this at the beginning. You you work with all sorts of businesses, right? It's not a specific uh-huh. type of clientele. It's any any entrepreneur primarily female who needs uh-huh. some what is it that you're doing for them when you say coaching what are you doing for them are you helping them with online presence are you helping them with uh, uh, explain more to me so, what you're doing with these clients
2: yeah so um some builders the the company itself is is helping you know we're a training center we're helping people create courses we're hosting them we're doing all of those things with my one-on-one clients i'm helping them Put courses together. Um, I'm helping them take their business online and create successful online arms. But the thing that, you know, at its core that I'm doing with them is helping them put a foundation in place in their business because we hit the ground running. We get our product or service together. And I really work with service-based entrepreneurs Um and we go out there and we do the things and and we, we kind of not spin our wheels, but we have all this low hanging fruit. And, you know, we eventually we get to this point probably about, you know, two to three years in where we go, oh, like things start to dry up and we go, huh, like what's going on? And that's typically where I'll come in and say, OK, well, tell me about your business. And they start telling me about their business and I'll say to them, OK, well, like what's your tell me about your ideal client? right? So I spend a lot of time helping them with their niche, um, and really understanding their ideal client. And again, like I said, helping them see like, the potential in themselves, right? So here's, here's what you do. Here's who you are. Here's who I really see you helping. Have you ever considered helping this market? Um, and then it's about, you know, from there figuring out their foundation, place. So once I ask them, you know, what their business is, and they give me like, Either I get, I don't know about you guys, but I hear like very vague things or very like not succinct things. So like for me, people will say, well, what do you do? I teach women how to create online courses. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. Somebody else might be like, oh, well, I, I am an online creating, uh, Guru, or I'm an online creating master or wizard, and I'm always like,
0: but, but what does
2: that mean, <laughs> right? Like, what does that mean, right? Because because we're you know, or I'm this kind of expert, or I'm that kind of coach, everyone's or an expert, you know,
0: everyone's a coach,
2: or they come, yeah, or they come, or they come to you and they're like, they give you like a paragraph of of who they are, and and so for me, I I really help them figure out like, no, 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 like. This is what you do. I need it in like five words max, right? Like for you guys, it's like, what do I do? I'm a massage therapist. You don't, you don't come and say like, well, I am a back muscling whisperer, right? Like you're, (laughs) although no, I'm kidding, right? But, but that's not how you present yourself. So then I help them kind of, so I help them figure that out. I help them figure out their niche. Um, and that always comes with, you know, branding and, and figuring out how they can, position themselves as the back muscle whisperer without actually saying that like be direct be succinct and then the other question when once i ask them you know what do you do who do you do it for the next thing i ask them is what's your value ladder and many people will go huh because a value ladder really is your offerings all lined up on a ladder and some businesses don't don't fit into the value ladder type business like for people with products this is my product. This is what I sell. Do you want it or not? Um, for you guys, there's not, you know, you know, when you see online entrepreneurs and they're like, here's this opt-in, here's this low cost offer. Here's the next thing. Like I explain a value ladder in terms of car models. So you came out of university, you bought your very first car. It was a base model. You got married. You got your first like big time job. You got a sedan. It cost a little bit more, right? Then you had kids. It's the minivan. And then all the way up to the Cadillac, that whole cost cost. It, it got more expensive as you went up the ladder to play. And not every business model can can fit into that. But with a service based business, that's very common in that you're taking them through a ladder. Mm-hmm. Because your ideal client is on a transformational journey. They're, they're going through a transformation and you somehow fit into that. And there's a ladder that you need to take them through so that they get everything that they're meant to get out of from you. For you guys, it's you know, it's a massage, like, that's, that's what I do. Do you want this package of massage? <laughs> like, do you want five massages? Do you want this? Do you want that? For for your business model, it may not necessarily jive with a value ladder. But a lot of my clients, that's the third question I ask them. And so then I'm helping them figure out all of those pieces, and figuring out what, what goes next, and then figuring out, you know, your sales process, I've always been somebody who's very process oriented, and helping them figure out how you're going to automate that, right? How do you, then you want them to do this, or they click this link in an email, then they have to do that. So it's really I do a lot of things.
1: But that's perfect. So you also probably don't know Uh this about us because, as I said, we spoke months ago and then, you know, the world exploded with a global pandemic. So things have changed drastically. But you probably don't know that the other thing that Mark and I do, two massage therapists and a microphone, is a side project. We actually own a continuing education company called Conet Institute, where we teach courses for manual therapists. So we work with kinesiologists, massage therapists, osteopaths, chiropractors, physio therapist. Uh And uh, our first course ever, the way that we got started in education was business. And what do we teach our clients? Changing their Uh mindset to change their practice, understanding who they are as a therapist, understanding their niche and understanding how to tell people not just what they do, but why they do it and understanding who their ideal Uh client is. Like this is our entire business, exactly Uh what you're explaining. So I I like that you're doing that because I believe that you're right. It doesn't exist enough, I think, in Canada for people to Uh really understand how to start a business. It's not about hanging a sign outside of your door that says, I'm a massage therapist and I massage people to decrease pain. Come see me and then they think that they're going to get busy.
2: And I think it's interesting too, because like I said, you're, you're the massage therapy, the massage side of it is a business or not. But one of the things that I do when I, when I talk to clients and I, and I do a discovery call with them, you know, it, it, there are businesses where it is better for you to have somebody who understands your business, your industry, right? Because for me to coach a massage, therapist, not that I haven't done it before, versus you to do it, where are they going to get more value? Right. Because for me, I'm giving them ideas and I'm and I'm ha- trying to help guide them through a process. But do I understand their I understand that they have regulations, but how much faster would it be if and how much more value would they get for their time if they talk to somebody like you who already knows what the regulations are. Right, right. Right. It's the same thing. There's other uh, salon owners is another great one where you know, you, you, that is, there is, there is an art to that. And there's a way because you have to understand the revenue model, Mm -hmm. right? Same with financial services, they're all reporting to the MFDA, if they're in the mutual funds, or like they have people that they're reporting to, and so, again, it's about understanding how that business makes money. So can
1: I get more of a more of a concrete example then? What would be your ideal client? You say you help women uh, create online courses. Well, not only women, but majority female entrepreneurs create uh-huh. online courses. What is your typical client? What's what would you say your niches?
2: My typical client, as I said, is, is they, they are service based. Um, And they're usually at that, they're usually at that three to five mark in their business, where they're saying, you know, I need to get more focused, they're done spinning their wheels, they need to get more focused, they they want more direction. And they've, they're done, like, they've gotten to that point. And I don't know if this happened to you guys, because I don't know if you guys had corporate after school, or if you went right into entrepreneurship. But I got to a point where, I looked around and I was like, I just traded in the hours at work, but still brought home all the meetings, all the calls, all the emails, all the workload. And I didn't feel like I was getting anywhere. And so I think there are specific industries that I maybe don't work with because I feel like, you know, you you want to have somebody who understands that revenue model to a T. But a lot of the time I'm working with business owners who are, you know, whether it's social media strategists, whether it's life coaches, um, people who really have a client who's going through a transformational journey that they are trying to help them through. Whether it's a transformational journey through their brand. Uh, a transformational journey in their life, any of those those things. And they want to be online. They want to put courses together. So I wouldn't necessarily say that there's an industry I've niched down to. It's more a type of person. I call it a soul. Mm-hmm. There's a soul out there that I speak to and they come to me and there are different. And that's not to say that I wouldn't work with an RMT or salon owners or whatever. I, this is, that's not what I'm saying. It's, it just depends on what they're coming to me right. for. And so if they're coming to me at that startup level, which is where I get a lot of people, I will say to them, you know, do you understand your revenue model? And if they can clearly articulate to me how their business makes money, then it's almost like they've passed that next barrier of yes. Okay. Now let's have a further conversation to see if I can help you because I don't, I've never worked in a salon. So I can't necessarily say, yeah, here, I'm going to help you on figure out how to, how to make your business next month. Right.
1: You want somebody who understands their own business uh-huh. and who is willing to put in the work and is going to use you for coaching and uh-huh. guidance, not to redesign their business, because that doesn't make any sense for you. That's not your business. Exactly. Your business is coaching. It's not... Yeah. Getting their business off the ground. Yeah. And so
2: if I had somebody who came to me that was like, I'm a new entrepreneur or I'm a new RMT, I'm struggling, knowing that you have a course to that, I'm going to tell them you've got to talk to these guys. And when you've done that and you understand your business model and then you want to get clear about your niche, your branding, put together a good value ladder, then come to me. Because I feel like it's important for us to be able to say, you know, this is when we're going to work. And here are the things you need to do to get to us rather than being um hey I'm Samantha by Machete. Oh yeah, I can help you. I can help you. You you're a doctor and you want my help practicing neuro like brain surgery. Sure, I can help you with that. Right? Like it's not life doesn't work that way. And when you're finding the right person, you want somebody who understands exactly where you are in your business and can help can actually help you. I'm very particular when I when I tell people about um hiring professionals. I tell them if you're going to hire a professional in your business, you just interview them. Like you'd interview a babysitter for your kid. I need to under, like I put them through anybody I'm hiring. I put through the exact same scrutiny that I would that way. Like I want to talk to people who you might, who you've worked with, you know, I want to um not necessarily somebody I'm hiring. Like if it's a massage therapist and your, your credentials and we jive, I'm like, great, I'll try you out. But I'm talking about like the business coaches and the, and the people who are making these promises online that you're seeing and they're like, oh, six figure incomes. Do you, do you guys know the one?
1: Like the web designers, like yeah. the SEO yeah. people. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to bring one of these people on, sure. But you better fucking know who you're uh-huh. bringing on because they're, I, I've seen horror uh-huh. stories. I've worked in clinics with clinic owners who have hired people to do their social media and they just do a shit Mm -hmm. job. Like, sure, they can make things look pretty, but the content is crap. And that's the fault of the clinic owner for not making sure that either a they got somebody who understood their brand messaging and knew what kind of content to put out, or made sure that they were approving the content before it went right.
2: And, And the other thing is too, like, you know, coming from a point and if we use that example of the social media person, what results have they gotten? I want to talk to somebody who you've actually gotten results that you actually generated leads from. I need to talk to that person. Like, I don't think it's too much to ask somebody to talk to one of their clients, one of their past clients. Like, if, if somebody's like, no, no, I don't do that. Well, yeah, I have a couple people I could ask. Let me see if they'd be okay talking to you. And if they're not, that's a different, that's a different issue. But, you know, it's, it's why not? I want to talk to a couple of references. Well, yeah, for sure. If you're
1: getting hired for a job, you expect to have to provide references. So why, why is this any right? different?
2: And, and I get, well, there's testimonials on my website. Yeah, but I don't know who that is. Yeah,
1: actually, it's funny that you bring that up. I was reading reviews of a company. Oh, I wish I could remember now. Oh, this is driving me crazy. I saw something online recently. And so I decided to go look at the Mm -hmm. reviews because I wanted to make sure if I'm going to order something online, because that's the Mm -hmm. new normal now. You don't actually go out and buy things. You are now ordering everything online. you're not allowed to talk to people or see people Mm -hmm. or you know, breathe near people. Um, So I was reading reviews. It'll come to me after we get off the phone. But I was reading reviews of a company and every single review was worded in the strangest way, Mm -hmm. like not the way that I imagine people to speak. So it suddenly hit me after like the fifth or sixth one. I'm like, oh, my God the same person wrote every one of these uh-huh. reviews like 100% and just changed their name and all of the names were sorry white people i'm also white people but like the whitest uh-huh. names in the world like ken adams uh ben taylor steve jacobs i'm like uh-huh. come on like no they're not they were all fake people with these stock photos of these like smiling blonde white Mm -hmm. guys and they were all worded in very poor English I'm like "Uh, I don't think blondie would say something like that like this is obviously and
2: we also I think it's interesting that as business owners we sit up at night and worry about like oh my god somebody gave us a bad review but I don't know about you but for me when I'm looking at the reviews I want to I, I actually cringe not cringe but question a company if there are no constructive reviews. They don't have to be bad reviews, but ones that aren't just like, this is amazing. You were fantastic, right? If there's one that was like, yeah, here's some pluses, here's some negative, like that's what I'm looking for. Somebody who actually came online and thought, yeah, here's an actual decent review. And I spent the time to actually think it through. So I think it's, you know, it's it's about understanding those pieces and picking up on those subtleties and realizing that, like, yeah, I can get a stock photo off of pixels and make my own review anytime I want.
1: You just made me remember what the reviews were for. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was it was a restaurant. I won't I won't say what type of restaurant, but I was or, trying to order some type of ethnic mm-hmm. food. And as I said the reviews were all these like super super white mm-hmm. guys and the English was very poor. So it was clearly <laughs> written by somebody who either owned or worked at this very ethnic restaurant. I was like, um, yeah, something's not adding up here. Ken Adams didn't yeah. say this, right?
2: <laughs> They're <laughs> so like, oh,
1: yeah. We've we've actually done a couple of episodes with business owners about negative and fake reviews.
2: It's more about how you show up and how you deal with that. So, for example, a couple of years ago, I don't remember exactly what happened, but when we were living in Newmarket, there was an incident with one of the Santas at the Newmarket Mall, and it was on global news. And I had shared it on my Facebook page. And uh had had given my comments as it had to do with a child who had what they it's it's the same thing that they would say about my children. I, right. They have invisible disabilities. You can't see the disability, but it's there. And so sometimes people will, uh you know, make judgments or say snarky things or I've had many a dirty looks because, you know, why can't I just get my kid in line? So it had something to do with that. And I had shared it because as a parent of a child with a, and I'm using quotation marks, invisible disability. And, um, you know, Global News had covered it. It was this whole thing. And, you know, there's two ways as a business that you can show up. You can want pretend that that's not happening. Or you can show up on your review and say, like, hey, we're sorry this happened. Well, the mall did that. They commented on my page and they showed up and they said, like, we're really sorry that this happened. Here's some of the steps we've taken. Right. And one of the things I actually screenshotted that and did another post and shared how the business had showed up. And I think that's so important. Um, but what was unfortunate was that like nobody global news, nobody else came back to do a story about how the business had made a difference. And so why like had tried to fix it. Right. And I think that that is why business owners worry so much about negative reviews because like I had somebody go on, it was, it was really, um, interesting today. I was on social media and somebody was complaining about price gouging and ice cream. And, and it was funny because you see this and people go to social media to complain. Um, almost like I'm going to tell everybody and my brothers what the mindset has become. But what actually happened was, um, People had, people took the, the side of the business. It was very interesting in that this person's connections were actually saying, well, we don't agree with you. And here's why. And, and many of them were respected. Like it wasn't that trolling that you get or the fighting in comments. They were, it was a respectful discourse. But I thought that was really interesting because that doesn't always happen. And somebody actually pointed out that there, if you have an issue, send this as, instead of doing a post, send the email to uh, cause she had posted her receipt. send the email to send an email to that email on the receipt that says, if you have a problem, email me.
1: Exactly. I wish, I mean, social media is both a blessing and a curse for business owners. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's so many times where I read things online and I think the exact same thing. Like, why are you trying to destroy somebody? Because maybe you had a bad experience when you could contact the company and they would probably make it right. You know, there's some companies that maybe aren't reputable, but most places, if they're, you know, not trying to destroy their livelihood and their business, they're going to try to make right. I mean, small businesses definitely still uh, follow the customer is always right with some exceptions (laughs) mentality. So, you know, they're going to try to figure out what happened and fix it. So instead of trying to put people on blast on the internet and ruin their life.
2: And that's the thing. Do you really, if you're going to just post on social media, do you really want change or did you just want to vent? And in which case did that really need to be online? Because if we wanted to affect change, we would go the route, the route of of most effectiveness right for example you know i see people tweeting uh not tweeting sorry they're on facebook trying to get the attention of their politicians (laughs) the politicians are on twitter canadians don't tend to be on twitter but that's where those guys are they're on twitter the news reporters all those guys are on twitter if i want a response fast like i had a question about um stripe the payment processing company i went on twitter and dm'd them and they had it figured out and like 10 minutes. Yeah,
1: that's true. There's no point in talking on Facebook or Instagram to politicians, you're not getting anywhere.
2: (laughs) Because they're not there, right? And so under if you want to, and that's why I say if you want or send them an email, like the best thing to do is to call their office and send them an email, right? But if you really want to change, would you not have gone the most effective route? And maybe that's just me, because I don't have a lot of time. And I'm like, you know what, there's God, I'm, I'm the person who is always There's got to be an easier way to do this. And so I want to go right to the source. And so for me, if there's an email that says, here, you've got a problem, I'm going to email you. And I'm gonna say, hey, this is my issue. What can we do about it? I
1: know that uh, this is—we're not necessarily talking about being an entrepreneur at this moment, but I think this again just goes with this entrepreneurial mind. Like, you don't have time Mm -hmm. to beat around the bush, and you know, you want to get shit done. You just get shit done, and that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Mark has always been that way since the day I met him. Like, if there's something that has to be done, Mm -hmm. it's what is the quickest way to just do this. Um, it it, there is never any hemming and hawing with this guy. When we decided to start the podcast again. I know that you're not, you're not really a a listener of our podcast yet. I'll say yet. Um, Uh But when we started it, it was literally, he had this idea, hey, we should start a health and wellness related podcast and, you know, talk all things, health, wellness, entrepreneurship. And I was like, okay, cool. And like the next day Uh he had downloaded software, bought equipment, figured out how to like it, in a day, in a span mm-hmm. of 24 hours, mm-hmm. he comes home and he's like, hey, this is what we're going to do. I'm like, whoa, whoa, didn't we like just have this conversation? But his mm-hmm. mind was already like, yeah, we had the conversation. Next step. Like, let's just get this done. Yeah, What's he, going on?
2: He wasn't because he, he wasn't second guessing himself, was he? He was, this is what I'm doing. And and I'm going to try it out and see what happens. Right. And, and I think that is really for people who really want Change and they really want to see results, that's what they do. And people, that's why people come to me for the private coaching is because I, again, I see the path. And so if this is your problem and you need to figure out how to get it done, then, okay, let's, here's how I see you doing
0: it. Tell me what your last discovery call sounded like with someone that you chose to not work with.
2: Um, so for me, if it was somebody, I, I have to, think I have to think because I I feel like a lot of the time it's it it comes down to a fact of you're not ready and here's why you're not ready and here's what I want you to do or here's what I want you have you considered this or have you you know
0: what types of things might I'm not ready sound like
2: it might sound like um, I don't want to say pushback because as entrepreneurs you know your business the Mm -hmm. best and just because I said something doesn't mean like you can say that's a great interesting thought but here's why I'm not going to do it, it's it's more the people who are like, no, no, that would never work. Or that's that's the kind of person who I would say, like, that's they're not pushing back. They're just mm-hmm. not willing to hear other perspectives. We know that kind of person. Um, right. And and so if but if they had said to me, you know, that that's not going to work and here's why and given me a reason, then OK, great. Um, that is not for them. So that would be one example. Another example would be, you know, if they're, if they're still unclear, I I find too, there are ways where they can say, well, I'm not really sure if, um, I'm not really sure if this will work or I'm not really sure that this is what I want to do. Or, you know, they're kind of on the fence about whether the business is what they want to actually proceed with, Mm -hmm. which again, I'm not going to take somebody's money if they're not sure about you know, whether they're going to go back to the uh, corporate world or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it may also just be somebody who just doesn't everything that I've said. They, they, they don't, it doesn't fit with them. You know, when you're having a conversation with somebody and I've been with my husband since high school, so I haven't, I didn't really do the dating world, but I use this as the example, like, you know, when you're like on a first date with somebody and everything you say just wants to make you like, it makes you want to yell at them. If, if we're not, (laughs) if we're not, if, if I'm having a conversation with somebody and they're getting frustrated with me, then I'm looking at that and saying, there's a deeper issue here. And I think it's that we're not a match.
1: Yeah. Everything you just said, I'm like, yep. Yep, yep, because I've met all of those people in, in my career in continuing education. I've met people who, you know, they, they come to my class, and I'm telling them what I'm telling them. But all of our courses, it's not just me standing at at the front of the room, lecturing you, they're all very interactive, they're all discussion based. But it's like the type of person that no matter what I say, it's like, I've got a roadblock or a reason that doesn't work, or I can Uh tell you why that would never work for me or that, you know, anyway mm-hmm. I, I exactly it's just those people who don't jive with you who don't um mm-hmm. who, who just don't have an open mind you know they've and that's why we start all of our business courses with a session about changing your mindset mm-hmm. and it's really just about understanding where your comfort zone is where your blind spots are and where you might be blocking out opportunities because of what you believe is true about you or true about your business and We have Mm -hmm. to get that shit out of the way before we can even work together because otherwise you're just going to start telling me, well, no, that's not going to work. And these are my clients. You know, for example, when it comes to digital marketing, we live in a world where if you don't have an online presence, majority Mm -hmm. of the time you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Like you Mm -hmm. have to have some sort of online presence, majority of small businesses. There are a few exceptions, but majority of businesses have to have an online presence. And I've had uh-huh. students come into my class and tell me I will never, you know, have a website. I will never have social media. I will never do this because I don't know how to do it and it doesn't work for me. And it's, you know, those aren't the uh-huh. kind of clients I want. I'm like, okay. You know, and I try to present them with a different idea. And it's just, uh-huh. you know, argument after argument after argument.
2: And I think that it's important for us to to acknowledge that, right? Like, so those are really the only the only reason I wouldn't work with somebody is, is for those reasons. One you know, and one, they're, you know, they, they're not uncoachable, but they're not open to ideas, right? It's that saying that you cannot solve a problem that you're not willing to have. So if by the end of the call, I feel that you're still not willing to have the problem that I can see that you have, then chances are, we're not a good fit, because I wasn't able to bring you to that realization. Mm -hmm. It's not even that, you didn't want to have it. It's that I couldn't bring you to that realization, which means I'm probably not the right person for this job there. And then the other side of it is, is the people not that they don't like, there's a difference between the mindset and not having and needing to work on your mindset and not being sure that like entrepreneurship is for you. Yeah. Right. So that was, that's been another call that I've had where I'm like, before you invest any money in me or anybody else, you really need to have that heart to heart with yourself and decide if this is what you want to do. Because if it's not, I don't want you investing any money in. And then the other person is, like I said, we we're sitting down and like everything I said, you want to yell at me for, then we're probably not going to jive on that level as well. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a so pretty good really, indicator. <laughs> those are really the only reasons I wouldn't work with somebody because at the end of the day, I don't need, um, I don't need to be in a position where you're unhappy with me because that's going to affect me. And I don't feel like if I know there's an issue, why I don't want to waste your time.
1: Yep, for sure. And that's respectable. Again, that's if somebody's going to work with you, they need to trust you. And you can't Mm -hmm. trust somebody who is just feeding you a bunch of bullshit saying I can solve any problem for anyone, just Mm -hmm. like any other business person, you know, your clients, you know, who Mm -hmm. you can and can't work with, you know, who you mesh well with. So Mm -hmm. I think that people will trust you more, because you are upfront and will say, "Mm, you know, maybe you're not ready yet. Maybe you need to go do these things first Mm -hmm. and come back to me and you're not just trying to take everybody's money. So thankfully, every business coach we've had on our podcast has, has been like that, you know, they're not just willing to accept anybody, they make Uh sure that the person is a good fit for them. And that's, Uh I think that's a really a good marker of a, a great business coach is somebody who's going to make sure that you are the right fit, because there are a lot of coaches out there. And if you're not the right fit for somebody, it doesn't mean that they're not coachable necessarily, it means maybe they're there's a different mm-hmm. type of coach that's that's good for them.
2: Yeah, because like I said, even if by the end of the call, I, if I haven't been able to to convince you that there's a problem there, then I'm not the right person for you. It's not that you're unpoachable; it's that my communication style is not connecting with your communication style, for right? Sure. And I think it's important. The other thing that I think is important is is letting our letting our clients know that. They can do the same thing in their business. There is no reason to to be at at odds with who you're attracting. And and they and they kind of say, and this is one of the things that I help people with is, you know, finding clients, attracting clients that they love to work with. Because they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, I've got all these clients, and I'll say, well, who do you really? When we start figuring out their niche, who do you really enjoy working with? And they're like, well, I don't, I don't know. I can't think of anybody. Well, that's a problem. Yeah, Because if you're clearly you're attracting people that you don't love to work with, not that you don't like your clients and you don't feel like you're making a difference. But if I had to say to you, like, if you could take one client out and spend an entire day with them, do you have any clients like that? And you're like, mm, I don't really know off the top of my head then chances are you're not attracting that client because that's not the vibe you're putting down and they're not coming to you.
1: I have so many clients that I'd love to hang out with right now. I miss them all. Jesus, this is such a weird time. Um, I think this is a good time though if it works for you, if anybody mm-hmm. that's listening to this feels like they, you know, they really resonate with what you're saying, and they wanted to get in touch with you. Do you have contact info to give out to our listeners, uh, website, email, however you prefer people to get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, I think the best thing to do is to connect with me on um, on Instagram. So my handle is at I am Samantha King. And you can connect with me and it'll allow you to email me, check out my website, my services that I offer. Um, and, and just go there and really connect. And you can, there's so many ways, different ways to interact and connect and really get a sense of, um, if we're going to be a good fit, even before you try to book a discovery call with me. If you want to book a discovery call with me, yes, yeah, send me an email. It's samantha at vampirebuilders.com um and and we can figure out how to do that
1: by the way did you come up with the name vampire builders i
2: did i did and it's funny because the uh, my my lawyer is actually talking about trademarking right now <laughs> so it it is funny but yeah i i did come up with that um and maybe it's but you know like i said i studied ancient rome so maybe it was like empire vampire what were
0: some of the throwaways i
2: don't know if i had any the throwaway really was my own name and because uh, it was the King, and I thought, you know what, you go through Facebook, and you see all these people with their names on their pages, and it doesn't mean anything to me. Even in a sponsored post, I see and it's like, you know, Susan McCleary, and it's a post of something I'm interested in, but I'm not going to remember what her name is. Yeah, that's and true. And I think too, as a business owner, you know, I always talk to people, again, like I said, I'm helping them put their foundation in place, I'm helping them see the path through creating a roadmap. One of the things I asked them is like, what are you going to do 20 years from now? You're done with this business. How are you getting out? What's your exit strategy? And if the business is Samantha King, it might be a little bit harder to sell than something say vampire builders when I'm done. But for me, it really was, it was my name that I ended up letting go. And those were the two reasons why with the exit strategy and the fact that I myself don't remember the names that I see on social media when I'm scrolling through and I didn't want to be just another Susan McCleary who's selling whatever and you see her sponsored post in your feed but you don't remember who she is.
1: Sorry, Susan. I agree (laughs) with you. (laughs)
2: That's just a name I've made up, right? It might
1: as well be Karen. You know what? It's going to be on my Facebook now. A sponsored
0: post from Susan. Shit. Yeah. Google's
1: listening to us. Unbelievable. I was going to say, I agree with Hell you yeah. about not using your real name. Although you have a pretty, uh, bomb name for a female entrepreneur, Samantha King. Like mm-hmm. that's, yeah, it's Royal. It's
2: interesting though, because <laughs> the other, the other piece of that is when, it, when it was my own name, um, this really didn't cut, this is just an interesting tidbit. It didn't really factor into the decision, but when you Google Samantha King, there is a, um, a professor in Queens who comes up at Queens University in Ontario who comes up um, who must have a bunch of published stuff. There's I think there's a singer, too. Like it actually was a more common. It's actually a very common name in the Google search engine. Uh. So. If that was the other piece to it that I think is an interesting side bit is that I'd always be fighting for SEO with these other okay. people who are, who are also producing content in their own fields and industries. So
1: for sure, well, I love vampire builders because again, it just sounds powerful, and I love that you. I, I just I like what you're doing that you're you're working with entrepreneurs to help them get their business off the ground, but in particular, female entrepreneurs because you just blew my mind tonight. I never really thought of you know, Mark and I and our dichotomy and how we work together as a male-female thing. I, I Again, I just thought, it. I don't know, I thought maybe it was an Aquarius Leo thing. I don't know. <laughs> but I <didn't>, couldn't really <laughs> right? figure or it, it was out. Right? just a Mark and a man. Yeah, I couldn't really figure it out. Because I've said on multiple episodes that he's the entrepreneur and I'm his number one. And he always disagrees with me. Like, no, you're an entrepreneur. And I'm like, no, I'm not. because. And he said, yes, you are. Because you're just as willing as I am to take the uh-huh. risk and go out on your own and run your own business. But I always uh-huh. view it as, you know, it was him, but I think it's because he's got exactly as you said that that innate ability to like this is my idea. This is what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. Whereas I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, wait, let's think about this. Let's make charts and graphs. Let's calculate this. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we can just put this out there right now. Mm-hmm. So this has all been uh, very interesting, and now I've got a whole bunch of soul searching to do about my ability as an entrepreneur and a female.
2: <laughs> and I think too, the important like, yeah, it was like you said, like my mind has been blown. It was, it was an important conversation to have, but it was kudo like kudos to mark for asking the question because I don't actually get asked that question a lot. And I do bring it up in in conversations and I talk about the fact that women do business differently and women build businesses differently, but I don't get asked that a lot. And and I think it's an important question to ask. Yeah.
1: I think that it just makes a lot more sense because, um, again, we've had episodes where we talk about, even in our industry, you know, we're a very female-dominated mm-hmm. industry and men definitely get, um, for lack of a better term, discriminated against in our industry. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of people don't want to see male therapists of any kind, like any type of male uh-huh. male manual therapist, male doctors, you know, people uh-huh. are more comfortable around females. And we had a male therapist on talking about the discrimination in job postings where it's uh-huh. somehow totally acceptable for clinics to put out a job ad that says looking for a female RMT. Why is that acceptable in an industry like ours? But, you know, there's no way that you would ever see a job saying, you know, nope. hiring male doctor only like that would never exist. Uh-huh. So for male,
2: male marketing executive. Right. And
1: we put out this episode and All female women went uh a little bit nuts on this saying that they disagreed with us because we were saying, you know, we didn't feel it was right, that it, it was, you know, so discriminatory towards men. And uh-huh. a lot of women were saying, well, you know, that's how it feels, men. Women have been discriminated against forever and ever and ever. And my argument kept being, well, you know, just because we've been discriminated against, then does it make it right to discriminate Men, like, I I wasn't really seeing.
2: Is that the way to affect change? Is my question. Right. That's my pushback to that kind of stuff is that true equality should go both ways. Right. And I'm, I'm with you. And should matter, should, should be an even scale. And if you, if we want to, you know, break the glass ceiling, is pointing fingers back and forth, that hasn't gotten us anywhere. Is that going to affect change or do we need to do better? Do we need to be better? Do we need to have the hard conversations respectfully? That's how I think we're going to get changed. Yeah.
1: Well, and that's why I said, I like what you're doing. And I like that you said, you know, the reason that we have this mentality that we do, the reason we do business the way we do it. It wasn't necessarily a man's fault, I mean, if we really dig deep, I'm sure somewhere we can blame a man, but mm-hmm. it's it's this mentality that we have, and we have to as women have to mm-hmm. figure out a way to deal with that and realize that we can be just as badass in business as the men can. Mm-hmm. in fact, I'm not even certain if Mark is still listening to us anymore Of course I am. <laughs>
2: but it, and it, and and the other thing too is that we as women need to uh step in and see how we're holding each other back too, which is a big thing about, you know, part of my mission in life is to see a world where for my daughter, for other girls and for my son, where women aren't being catty with each other and tearing each other down. Yes. Because as you said, it's not, as you said, it's not, we can't pinpoint everything back to being a man's fault. There are examples of us self-doubting ourselves and us questioning our worth that probably come back to an interaction we had on the playground with another girl or
1: a mothers. Sorry, mom.
2: Right. But, and this is the thing. So to, to, to affect true change, we have to have these hard conversations where we as women have to step up and say, okay, this is how I'm feeling. Tell me how you're feeling. How can we make change together rather than pointing the finger at other people? Cause I think for, I think it can be really easy for men and I don't want to, speak for, for men, but to feel like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Now I don't know how to help. I don't know how to make things better because they feel like if they say something, there's going to be almost like what happened to, you, to the doctor or the therapist on your show. He said something. He spoke his truth. He had facts behind it. You as a woman agreed with him. And yet there was still all this controversy. And so is he going to speak up next time? Is he going to try to make change next time or is he going to not want to get involved at all because he doesn't want to feel or be put in that position again. And then what does that mean for change in the long run? This
1: is a lot to think about, but I like it. This is, as you said, these are conversations that need to be had that, you know, if, Anyway, I I love what you're doing. And um, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know either about you, about your business, anything that we didn't really get to touch on tonight? Because I realize we've taken up a lot of your time already.
2: I, I really loved coming on and just chatting with you guys about business and really having conversations that, like I said, Mark asked a question I've never been asked. And and having those conversations. So I think that was fantastic. Um, really, just if you are a woman in business, and you and you want to, you know, create an online course or take some courses to better your skill set, feel free to check us out vampirebuilders.com. If you are somebody who is struggling with working at home with kids on our Facebook page, which is at vampire builders, we're actually giving away a free guide where uh, you can download I putting in I put in all my tips on working at home with kids. And all my favorite tools and resources to get to to get stuff done is somebody who's been doing it for a while.
1: I'm gonna have to check that out because my kids are making me bananas. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and you know what? It can work for the the dads out there that are working from home too.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Right? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. It's all good. Well,
1: thank you so much for hanging out with us late night because we all have children, and there was no other time of day that, that we could have made this work. It's with okay. We're all in our PJs anyway. <laughs>
2: exactly right we're all in our pjs anyway so really what was what was the harm in it right I'm also a night owl
1: yeah we are too and it's funny I thought I always thought that having kids would change that about me and within the first year to 18 months of my oldest daughter's life I realized no like I am never not going (laughs) to be a night owl I am never going to love getting up at 7 or 7 30 or whatever ridiculous time these kids get up I'm never gonna like it I mean I'll do it because I have to to, but I just accepted the fact that it's never going to be my cup of tea. So I stopped trying to make myself a morning person.
2: I think too. And I challenge you to think about, well, I have to, but do I really? Exactly. Or Do I there, really? Or is there a way to set up a system in your house So that you can sleep until nine. There is, because guess what, Smith I figured that part out. Yeah,
1: no, we are we are (laughs) definitely with you. Our kids You
2: gotta do what works. You gotta do what works for you. And I think that's the biggest thing. When this first started, it was right before March break. I did a bunch of different interviews about talking about working from home. And the biggest thing was, you know, do what you gotta do. Do what works best for you and give yourself some grace while you're trying to figure this all out. Amen, sister. Moms or dads. Moms or dads. Yeah,
1: but mostly moms. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have to say (laughs) that. I'm sitting here with my husband. My co-host is my husband. If I can't throw some jabs in there, why did I even get
2: married? (laughs) (laughs) Why did we even decide to do this podcast
1: together? Anyway, I... So thankful that you came on. I'm grateful that uh, our mutual friend connected us, and um, it's it's been really nice talking
0: with you.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me,
0: guys. Right on, you guys have been listening to two massage therapists in a microphone, Bruce.